Hello and welcome back to the Gospel Podcast. This is your host Colton McAteer. We did take last week off unannounced, but we are right back at it. I hope that you're enjoying the podcast so far. Today is actually a very special episode. Uh, We are going to be reading a sermon by Richard Sibbs, a Puritan preacher, pastor, and uh, very, very excellent um, works have come from him. Uh, The Brews Read, you're probably familiar with. Um, So before we actually get into this, though, I read something that I want to read from J.I. Packer in regards to how the Puritans would preach the gospel. So this is from J.R. Packer in his book, A Quest for Godliness. And uh, he explains that the the Puritans had a very comprehensive uh, style of preaching the gospel. And, And let me just read from that book. It says, the importance of all this is that it challenges our modern idea that preaching gospel sermons means just harping on a few great truths, guilt and atonement and forgiveness, set virtually in a theological vacuum. The Puritan view was that preaching gospel sermons means teaching the whole Christian system, the character of God, the Trinity, the plan of salvation, the entire work of grace. To preach Christ, they held, involved preaching all this. Preach less, they would tell us, and what you do preach will not be properly grasped. What the good news of a restored relationship with God through Christ means for religion cannot be understood further than it is seen in this comprehensive context. Gospel preaching centers always upon the theme of man's relationship to God, but around the center, it must range throughout the whole sphere of revealed truth. Viewing the center from every angle of vision that the Bible provides. In this way, they would say preaching the gospel involves preaching the whole counsel of God. Nor should the preaching of the gospel be thought of as something confined to set evangelistic evangelistic occasions as if at other times we should preach something else. If one preaches the Bible biblically, one cannot help preach the gospel all the time and every sermon will be, as Bolton said, at least by implication evangelistic. All right, so that is a quick, brief word from uh, J.I. Packer about how the Puritans viewed uh, preaching the gospel, and 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 they would, uh, you know, they would they would very much hold to this idea, and so we're going to see that with Richard Sibbs. So yeah, let's let's just get right to it. This is a sermon by Richard Sibbs. sermon by Richard Sibbs. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Song of Songs, 6, 8. These words are a kind of triumph, acclamation upon all the former passages, as it were the foot of the song. For when the church had spoken formally of her ill-dealing with Christ and how he thereupon absented himself from her with many other passages, she shuts up all at, its, at last with this, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Now she begins to feel some comfort from Christ who had estranged himself from her. O oh, saith she, notwithstanding all suffering, desertions, crosses, and the like, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Words expressing the wondrous comfort, joy, and contentment the church now had in Christ, having her heart inflamed with love unto him, upon his manifesting of himself to her soul. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. There is a mutual intercourse and vicissitude of claiming interest betwixt Christ and his church. 
I am Christ's and Christ is mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. From the dependence and order of the words coming in after a desertion for a while, observe that Christ will not be long from his church. The spiritual desertion, forsaking as we used to call them, howsoever they be very irksome to the church that loves communion with Christ, and to a loving soul be deprived of the sense of her beloved, yet notwithstanding they are but short. Christ will not be long from his church, and his, his love and his desire will not let him. They offer violence. Why art thou absent, say they, say they? Why art thou so far off, and hidest thyself? Joseph may conceal himself for a space, but he will have much ado so to hold long and to be straitened to his brethren. Passion will break out. So Christ may seem hard to be entreated and to cross his own sweet disposition as to the woman of Canaan, but he will not long keep at this distance. He is soon overcome. O woman, great is thy faith. Have what thou wilt. When she strove, that's from Matthew fifteen twenty eight. When she strove with a with him a little, as faith is a striving grace, see how she did win upon him. So the angel and Jacob may strive for a while, but Jacob at the length proves Israel. He prevails with God. Genesis thirty two twenty four. So it is with the Christian soul in Christ. Howsoever there be desertion for cause before mentioned, because the church was negligent, as we hear, and partly for the time to come, that Christ, by estrangement, might sweeten his coming again, howsoever there may be estrangeness for a time, yet Christ will return again to his spouse. Use 1. The use should not the use should be not only for comfort to stay us in such times, but to teach us likewise to wait and never give over. If the church had given over here, she had not had such gracious manifestations of Christ to her. Learn hence, therefore, this use to wait God's leisure. God will wait to do good to them that wait on him. Isaiah thirty eighteen. If we wait his leisure, he will wait an opportunity of doing good to us. When God seems not to answer our prayers, let us yet wait. We shall not lose by our tarrying. He will wait to do us good. Use 2. In the next place, observe, after this temporary desertion, Christ visits his church with more of abundant comfort than ever before. Now the church cannot hold, my beloved is mine, and I am his, and Christ cannot hold, but falls into a large commendation of his spouse back again. As she was large in his commendations, so he is large in hers, and more large. We will have the last word. Therefore, learn by this experience that all things work together for the best to them that love God. Romans eight twenty eight. All things, what? Evil? I evil. Why? Even sin turns to their humiliation, yea, and desertion. Those spiritual ills turn to their good. For Christ seems to forsake for a while that he may come after with more abundance of comfort. When once he has enlarged the soul before with a spacious desire of his coming to say, Oh, that he would come. When the soul is thus stretched with desire in the sense of want, then he ills it again till it burst forth. My beloved is mine and I am his. It was a good experiment of Bernard, a holy man in ill times, Tibid, Acidit, speaking of Christ dealing with his church. He comes and he goeth away for thy good. He comes for thy good to comfort thee. After which, if thou be not careful to maintain communion with him, then he goeth away for thy good, to correct thy error, and to enlarge thy desire of him again, to teach thee to lay sure and fast hold upon him when thou hast him, not to let him go away.
again if you would see a parallel place to this look in cant three where there is the light case of the spouse in christ by night on my bed i sought him the church sought christ not only by day but by night I thought him whom my soul loved, though she wanted him, yet her soul loved him constantly. Though a Christian soul have not present communion with Christ, yet he may truly say, my soul loves him, because he seeks him diligently and constantly in the use of all the means. So we see the church before my text calls him my beloved still. Though she wanted communion with him, well, she goes on, I sought him, but I found him not. Would the church give over there? No. Then she rises and goeth about the city and about the streets and seeks him whom her soul loved, seeks him and will not give over. So I sought him, but I wanted the issue of my seeking. I found him not. What comes upon that? The watchmen go about the city and find her, of whom, when by her own seeking she could not find Christ, she inquires, Saw you him whom my soul love, loveth? She inquires of the watchmen, the guides of God's people, who could not satisfy her fully. She could not find her beloved, yet what does she? She shew, verse 4, it was but a little that she stayed after she had used all means, private and public, in her bed, out of her bed, by the watchmen and others. Yet saith she, it was but a little that I was passed from them. She had not an answer presently, though the watchmen gave her some good counsel. It was not presently, yet not long after, Christ will exercise, uh, exercise us a while with waiting. It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loved. After all our seeking, there must be waiting, and then we shall find him whom our soul loveth. Perhaps, perhaps we have used all means, private and public, and yet find not that comfort we look for. Oh, but wait, a while I, God, hath Wait a while, I, God, hath a long time waited for thee. Be thou content to wait a while for him. We shall not lose by it, for it follows in the next verse, After she had found him, whom her soul loved, I held him, I would not let him go. So this is the issue of desertions. They stir up diligence and searching in use of means, private and public, and exercise patient to wait God's leisure, who will not suffer a gracious soul to fail of its expectation. At length he will fulfill the desires of them that fear him. Psalm 50, uh, 60, what is that? 65, 19. And this comes of their patience. Grace grows greater and stronger. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him unto my mother's house. Thus, you see how the Spirit expresses the same truth in another state of the church. Compare place with place to go on. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. The words themselves are a passionate expression of long-looked-for consolation. Affections have eloquence of their own beyond words. Fear hath a proper expression. Love vents itself in broken words and sighs, delighting in a peculiar eloquence suitable to the height and pitch of the affliction that no words can reach unto. So that here is more in the words breathed from such an inflamed heart than an ordinary construction can be picked out. I am my beloved's coming from a fall and large heart expressing the union and communion between Christ and the church, especially after a desertion. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. 
First, I say union, the union of persons, which is before all comfort and communion of grace. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Christ's person is ours and our persons are his. For as it is in marriage, if the person of the husband be not the wife's, his goods are not hers, nor his titles of honor. For these come all to her because of his person is hers. He having passed over the right of his own body and of his person to his wife as she passed over all the rights of herself to her husband so it is in the mystic mystical marriage that the uh, that that entitles us to communion of graces is union of persons between christ and his church i am my beloved's and my beloved himself is mine and indeed nothing else will contain a christian heart a christian's heart he would not care so much for heaven itself if he had not christ there the sacrament word and comfort why doth, doth he esteem them as they come from christ and as they lead to christ it is but an adulterous and base affection to love anything severed from christ now, from the union of persons comes a communion of all other things whatsoever. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. If Christ himself be mine, then all is mine. What he hath done, what he hath suffered is mine, and the benefit of all is mine. What he hath is mine, his prerogatives and privileges to be the son of God and heir of heaven, and the like all is mine. Why? Himself is mine. Union is the foundation of communion. So it is here with the church. I am my beloved's. My person is his. My life is his to glorify him and to lay it down where he will. My goods are his. My reputation his. I am content to sacrifice all for him. I am his. All mine is his. So you see, there is union and communion mutually between Christ and his church. The original and spring hereof is Christ uniting and communicating himself to his church first. The spring begins to, that is, originates or gives its beginning to, the stream. The spring begins to, the stream. What hath the stream or cistern in it? But what is had from the spring? We uh, First, we love him because he loved us first. 1 John 4.19 It was a true speech of Augustine. Whatsoever is good in the world or lovely, it is either God or from God. It is either Christ or from Christ. He begins it. It is said in nature, love descends. The father and the mother love the child before the child can love them. Love indeed is of a fiery nature. Only here is the dis dissimulate, uh, dissimulitude. Fire ascends. Love ascends. It is stronger descending from the greater to the lesser than ascending up from the meaner to the greater and that for this amongst other reasons. Because the greater person looks upon the lesser as a piece of himself, sees himself in it, the father and mother see themselves in their child. So, God loves us more than we can love him because he sees his image in us. Neither is there only a priority of order. He loves us first and then we love him. But also of casualty. He is the cause of our love, not by way of motive only. He loves us and therefore from an ingenuous spirit, we must love him a in but he gives us his spirit circumciseth circumciseth our heart to love him deuteronomy 30 verse 6 for all the motives 
or moral persuasions in the world without the Spirit cannot make us love. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. We are taught of God to love one another. Our brethren whom we see daily, saith Paul, much more need we to be taught to love him who we never saw, so that his love kindles ours by way of reflection. In the New Covenant, God works both parts, His own and our parts too. Our love to Him, our fear of Him, our faith in Him, He works all even as He shows His own love to us. If God loves us thus, what must we do? Meditate upon His love. Let our hearts be warm with the consideration of it. Let us bring them to that fire of His love, and then they will wax hot within us and beg the Spirit, Lord, Thou hast promised to give Thy Spirit to them that ask it. Luke 9.10 And to circumcise our hearts to love Thee, and to love one another, give Thy Holy Spirit as Thou hast promised. In a word, these words i am my beloved's and my beloved is mine to join them both together they imply a mutual propriety that is property christ has a propriety in me and i in christ peculiar propriety christ is mine so as i have none in the world so mine whom i have i in heaven but christ and what is there in earth in comparison of him he is mine and mine in a peculiar manner i am his in a peculiar manner there is propriety with peculiarity then again these words i am his implies mutual love all is mutual in them mutual propriety mutual pe peculiarity and mutual love i love christ so as i love as i love nothing else there is nothing above him in my heart as christ loves me more than anything else saith the church and every christian he loves all and gives outward benefits to all but to me he hath given himself so love i him as the husband loves all in the family his cattle and his servants but he gives himself to his spouse so christ is mine himself is mine and myself am christ's he hath my soul my affections my body and all he hath a propriety in me and a peculiarity in me he hath my affection and love to the uttermost as i have his for there is an intercourse in these words then again they apply mutual familiarity christ is familiar to my soul and i to christ he discovers himself to me in the secret of his love, and I discover myself to him in prayer and meditation, opening my soul to him upon all occasions. God's children have a spirit of prayer, which is a spirit of fellowship, and talks, as it were, to God in Christ. It is the language of a newborn Christian. He cries to his Father. There is a kind of familiarity between him and God in Christ, who gives the entrance and access to God. So that, where there is not a kind of familiarity in prayer and opening of the soul to Christ upon all occasion, there is not this holy communion. Those that are not given to prayer, they cannot in truth speak these words as the church doeth here, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine, for they imply sweet familiarity. Then again, they imply mutual likeness one to another, he is mine, and I am his. The one is a glass to the other. Christ sees himself in me. I see myself in him. For this is the issue of spiritual love, especially that it breeds likeness and resemblance of the party loved in the soul that loveth. For love frameth the soul to the likeness of the party loved. I am his. I resemble him. I am his. I resemble him. I resemble him, for this is the issue of spiritual love, especially 
that it breeds likeness and resemblance of the party loved in the soul that loveth. For love frameth the soul to the likeness of the party loved. I am his, I resemble him. I am his, I have given myself to him. I carry his picture and resemblance in my soul. For they are words of mutual conformity. Christ, out of love, became like men in all things, wherein I am not like the devil, that is sin, accepted. If he became like me, taking my nature, that I might be near him in the fellowship of grace, my beloved is mine. I will be as like him as possibly I can. I am his. Every Christian carries a character of Christ's disposition as far as weakness will suffer. You may know Christ in every Christian, for as the king's coin, uh, king's coin carriers, the stamp of the king, Caesar's coin, bears Caesar's subscription, so every Christian soul is God's coin, and he sets his own stamp upon it. If we be Christ's, there is a mutual conformity betwixt him and us. Now, where you see a malicious, unclean, worldly spirit, know that it is a stamp of the devil, none of Christ's. He that hath not the Spirit of God is none of his. Now, where the Spirit of Christ is, it stamps Christ's likeness upon the soul. Therefore, we are exhorted, Philippians 2.5, to be like-minded to Christ. Again, these words, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, imply a mutual care that Christ and the soul have of the good of one another, of each other's honor and reputation. As Christ hath a care of our good, so a Christian soul, if it can say with truth and sincerity, I am Christ's, it must needs have care of Christ's good, of his children, religion, and truth. What will such a soul say? Shall Christ care for my body, soul, and salvation, and stoop to come from heaven to save me? And shall I have no care for him and his glory? He has left the truth and his church behind him, and shall not I defend his truth and stand for the poor church to the utmost of my power against all contrary power? Shall not I stand for religion? Shall it be all one to me what opinions are held? Shall I pretend he cares for me, and shall I not care for what I should care for? It is not an honor to me that he hath trusted me to is it not an honor to me that he hath trusted me to care for anything? Is it not an honor to me that he hath trusted me to care for anything? That he will be honored by my care. Beloved, it is an honor for us that we may speak a good word for religion, for Christ's sake, for his church, against maligners and opposers. And we shall know one day that Christ will be a rewarder of every good work. Of every good word, actually. Where this is said in sincerity that Christ is mine and I am Christ, there will be this mutual care. Likewise, there is implied a mutual complacency in these words. By a complacency, I mean a resting, contenting love. Christ has a complacency and resting in the church, and the church has a sweet resting contentment in Christ. Christ in us and we in him. A true Christian soul that hath yielded up its consent to Christ when it is beaten in the world, vexed and turmoiled, it can rely on this. I have yet a loving husband, yet I have Christ. Let this put us upon a search into ourselves, what we retire to when we meet with afflictions. Thus that have brutish and beastly souls retire to carnal contentments, to good fellowship, forget, be salt, and fly away from themselves, their own consciences and their own trouble, whereas a soul that hath any acquaintance with God in Christ, or any interest into Christ, so that it may say that Christ is mine, and I am Christ, 
there will be contentment and rest in such a soul whatsoever it meets with in the world. The last thing implied is courage, a branch of the former. Say all against it what they can, saith the resolved soul, I will be Christ's. Here is courage with resolution. Agreeably, here too is that. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. Another shall subscribe a surname himself by the name of Israel. Isaiah 51 in Isaiah, where there is not this resolution in good causes, there is not the spirit of Christ. There is no interest into Christ. It is but a delusion and self-flattery to say I am Christ when there is not a resolution to stand to Christ. These words are the expression of a resolved heart. I am and I will be Christ's. I am not ashamed of my bargain, of the consent I have given him. I am and I will be his. You have the like of Micah 4, 5. All people will walk, every one of them, in the name of his God. They will resolve, they will resolve on that and will walk in the name of, that, of the Lord our God forever and forever. So that where these words are spoken in truth that I am Christ's, there is necessarily implied, I will own him and his cause forever and ever. He has married me forever and ever. Therefore, if I hope to have interest in him for comfort forever and ever, I must be sure to yield myself to him forever and ever and stand for his cause in all oppositions against all enemies whatsoever. These and such like places in scripture run parallel with this in the text, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, not only holding in the person, but in the cause of Christ. Every man hopes his good will stand for himself against the devil who accuses us daily. If we have Christ to stand for us and to be our advocate, to plead our cause as he is as he doth in heaven, we must resolve to stand for him against all enemies, heretics, schematics, persecutors, whatsoever that uh, whatsoever that we will walk in the name of our God forever and ever. Quest. But when the ease is not thus with us, and that neither we can feel comfort from Christ, nor have this assurance of his love to us, what should we judge of such? Solution. We should not wonder to see poor souls distempered when they are in spiritual desertion, considering how the spouse cannot endure the absence of Christ. It is out of love, therefore, in the deepest plunge she hath this in her mouth, my beloved, Therefore, let us not judge amiss ourselves or others when we are impatient in this kind. But for a mourful answer in wanting of a feeling of the love of Christ in regard of that measure, we would, for there is never altogether a want of feeling. There is so much as keeps from despair away. Yet, if we carry a constant love towards him, mourn to him, and seek after him as the church here, if the desire of our soul be after him, that we make after him in the use of means and are willing to speak of him as the church here feel or feel not, we are his, we are his, and he will at length discover himself to us. Let us such drooping spirits consider that as he will not be long from us, nor wholly, so it shall not be for our disadvantage that he retires at all. His absence at length will end in a sweet discovery of himself more abundantly than before. He, he absents himself for our good to make us more humble and watchful for the time to come, more pitiful to others, more to prize our former condition, to justify the ways of God's more strictly of God more strictly to walk with him to regain that sweet communion which by our negligence and security we lost 
When we are thus prepared by his absence, there ensues a more satisfied discovery of him than ever before. But when is the time that he comes? Compare this with the former chapter. He comes after long waiting for him. The church waited for him and waited in the use of all means. She runs to the watchman and then inquires after him of the daughters of Jerusalem. After this, she finds him. After we have waited and expected Christ in the use of means, Christ at length will discover himself to us. And yet more immediately, it was after the church had so deservedly exalted him in such lofty praise. This is my beloved, the chief of 10,000. He is altogether lovely. When we set our hearts to the high exaltation of Christ above all things in the world, proclaiming him the chief of 10,000, this at the last breeds a gracious discovery. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. For Christ, when he sees us faithful and so loving, to, uh, loving that we will not endure his absence and so constantly loving that we love him, notwithstanding some discouragements, it melts him at last as Joseph was melted by his brethren. I am my beloved's, my beloved is mine. In the words, you see a mutual interest in owning between Christ and the church. Howsoever, in the order of the words, the church saith, I am my beloved's first, yet in order of nature, Christ is our first, though not in order of discovery. There is one order of knowing and another order of causing. Many things are by the effect, but they issue from a cause. I know he is mine because I am his. I have given myself to him. I know it is day because the sun is up. There is a proof from the effect. So I know a man is alive because he walks. There is a proof of the cause by the effect. I am his. I have grace to give myself up to him. Therefore, I know he loves me. He is mine. Thus, I say, in order of discovery, but in order of nature, he is first mine, and then I am his. My beloved is mine, and I am my beloved's. The union and communion betwixt us and Christ has already been spoken of. Now, to speak of the branches, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is that it, my beloved is that Christ is first ours, and then we are his, because he is ours, and the wondrous comfort that issues hence, that Christ himself is ours. How come Christ to be ours? First, Christ is ours by, by his Father's gift. God has given him for us. Second, Christ is ours by his own gift. He has given himself for us. Third, and Christ is ours by his Spirit that witnesseth so much to our spirits. For the Spirit is given for us for this purpose, to show us all things that are uh, that are to show us all things that are given us of God. Wherefore Christ is the chief. Therefore the Spirit of Christ tells us that Christ is ours, and Christ being ours, all that he hath is ours. If he be ours, if we have the field, we have all the treasures in the field. If we have him, we have all his. He was born for us. His birth was for us. He became man for us. He was given to death for us. And so likewise, he is ours and our, he is ours in his other estate of exaltation. His rising is for our good. He will cause us to rise also and ascend with him and sit in heavenly places, judging the world and the angels. We recover in this second what was what we lost in the first, Adam. Use number one. This is a point of wondrous comfort to show the riches of a Christian, his high estate that Christ is his, and Christ being ours, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and all things else in the world, the rich promises are ours. For in Christ there are all made, and for him they shall be performed. For indeed he is the chief promise of all himself, and all are yea and amen in him. Second Corinthians one twenty. 
can we want righteousness while we have Christ's righteousness? Is not this his garment large enough for himself and us too? Is not his obedience enough for us? Shall we need to patch it up with our own righteousness? He is ours. Therefore, his obedience is ours. Use number two. And this should be a ground likewise of contention contentation that is contentment in our condition and state otherwise whatsoever christ himself is ours in the dividing of all things some men have wealth honor friends and greatness but not christ nor the love of god in christ and therefore they have nothing in mercy but a christian he hath christ himself christ is Christ is his by faith and by the Spirit's witness. Therefore, what if he want those appendices, that is, additions, the lesser things? He hath the main. What if he wanteth a riveret, um, a stream? He hath the spring, the ocean, him in whom all things are, and shall he not be content? Put case a man, be very covetous, yet God might satisfy him. What should anxious thoughts disquiet us when we have such bills, such obligations from him who is faithfulness itself? When a Christian cannot say honor, favor, or great persons are his, yet he can say he hath that that is worth all, more than all, Christ is his. Oh, may some say this, but a speculation, Christ is yours. A man may want and be in misery for all that. Answer, no. Ob <clears throat> Objection. Oh, may some say this is but a speculation. Christ is yours. A man may want and be in misery for all that. Answer, no. It is a reality. Christ is ours and all things else are ours. He that can command all things is mine. Why then do I want other things? Because he sees they are not for my good. If they were, he would not withhold them from me. If they were none to be had without a miracle, no comfort, no friends, he could and would make me, would make new out of nothing. Nay, out of the contraries, were it not better for me to be without them. Use number three. That you may be, that you may the more fully feed on this comfort, study the excellencies of Christ in the scripture, the riches and honor that he hath and favor he is in with his father, with the intercession that he makes in heaven. John 17. Study his mercy, goodness, offices, power, and then come home to yourselves. All this is mine, and he is mine. The love of God is mine. God loves him, and therefore he loves me, because we are both one. He loves me with the same love that he loves his son. This, Thus we should make use of this, that Christ is ours. I come to the second. I am my beloved's. This is a speech of reflection, second in nature, though first in place and in discovery to us. Sometimes we can know our, our own love when we feel not so much the love of Christ, but Christ's love must be there first. I am my beloved's. 1 John four nineteen. How are we Christ's beloved? We are his, first of all, by his Father's gift. For God in his eternal purpose gave him for us and gave us to him as it, in, as it is in the excellent prayer. Father, thine they were, and thou gavest them me. John seventeen six. I had not them of myself first, but thine they were before all worlds were. Thou gavest them me to redeem them, and my commission doth not extend beyond thy gift. I die for all those that thou gavest me. I sanctify myself for them that they may be sanctified. So we are Christ in his Father's gift, but that is not all, though it be the chief fundamental principle ground of all. For second, we are his likewise, we are his likewise by redemption. 
Christ took our nature that he might die for us to purchase us. We cost him dear. We are a bloody spouse to Christ. As that froward woman wrongfully said to Moses, Thou art a bloody husband unto me. Exodus 4.25 So Christ may without wrong say to the church, Thou art a spouse of blood to me. We were indeed to be his spouse. But first, he must win us by conquest in regard of Satan and then satisfy justice. We were in such debt by sin, lying under God's wrath, so as till all debts were paid, we could not in the way of justice be given a spouse to Christ. 3. Nor is this all, but we are Christ by marriage also. For when he purchased us and paid so dear for us, when he died and satisfied divine justice, he did it with a purpose to marry us to himself. We have nothing to bring to him but debt and misery, yet he took upon him our nature to discharge all that he might marry us that he might marry us and take us to himself so we are his by marriage fourth then again we are by consent we are his by consent we have passed ourselves over unto him he hath given himself to us and we have given ourselves to him back again to come to some of us it if we be Christ, as Christ is ours. Use 1. First, it is a point of wondrous comfort. God will not suffer his own to want. He is worse than an infidel that will suffer his family to perish. When we are once of Christ's family, and not only of his family, but of his blood, his spouse, can we think he will suffer us to want that which is needful? Second, then again, as it comforts us against want, so it likewise fenceth us against all the accusations of Satan. I am Christ's. I am Christ's. If he have anything to say, lo, we may bid him to go to Christ. If the creditor comes to the wife, she is not liable to pay her own debts, but saith, Go to my husband. So in all temptations, learn hence to sin Satan, whether he should be sent. When we cannot answer him, send him to Christ. Third, and for the time that come, what a ground of comfort is this, that we are Christ's as well as he is ours. What a plea doth this put in our, in our mouths for all things that are beneficial to us. Lord, I am thine, save me, saith the psalmist. Why save me? Because I am thine, I am thine. Lord, teach me and direct me. Psalm twenty-seven, eleven. The husband is to direct the spouse. The head should direct all the senses. All the treasures of wisdom are in Christ, as all the senses are in the head for the good of the body. All fullness dwells in him. Therefore plead with him. I want wisdom. Teach me and instruct me how to behave myself in troubles, in dangers, in fears. If it be an argument strong enough amongst men, weak men, I am thine. I am thy child. I am thy spouse. Shall we attribute more pity and mercy to ourselves than to the God of mercy and comfort who planted these afflictions in the creature? Shall we make men tender and careful over others, and shall not he himself be careful of his own flock? Do we think that he will neglect his jewels, his spouse, his diadem and crown? Isaiah uh, 13, 3. He will not, but you will urge experience. Uh, but you will urge experience. We see how the church is used, even as a forlorn widow, as if she had no husband in the world, as an orphan that had no father. Therefore, how doth this stand good? Answer. The answer is, all that the church of any particular Christian suffers in this world, it is but that there may be a conformity between the spouse and the husband the head wore a crown of thorns and went to heaven and happiness through a great deal of misery and abasement in the world the lowest that ever was and it is not meet that the church should go to heaven another way answer number two then again all this is but to fashion the spouse to be 
like to Christ, but to bring the church and Christ nearer together. That is all the hurt they do, to drive the church nearer to Christ than before. Christ is as near to his church as ever in the greatest afflictions by his spirit. Christ cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is a strange voice that God should be his God, and yet notwithstanding seem to forsake him. But God was never more his God than at this, that present. Indeed, he was not his God in regard of some feeling that he had enjoyed in former times. He seemed to be forsaken in regard of some sense, as Christ seemed to forsake the church in regard of some sense and feeling, but yet his God still. So the church may say, I am thine still. Though she seems to be forsaken in regard of some feelings, yet she is not deserted in regard of God's care for support of the inward man and fashioning to Christ. The church has never sweeter communion with Christ than under the greatest crosses, and therefore they may times have proved the ground of the greatest comforts. For Christ lead, leads the church into the wilderness and then speaks to her heart. Hosea 2.14 Christ speaks to the heart of his spouse in the wilderness, that is, in a place of no comfort. There are no orchards of pleasure, but all discomforts there. A man must have it from heaven, if he have any good in the wilderness. In that wilderness, that is, in a desolate, disconsolate estate, Christ speaks to the heart of his children. There is in the wilderness oftentimes a sweet intercourse of love, incomparably beyond the time of propensity. Answer 3. Again, to say, to say your hearts, no, this will not be long. As we see here, the church seemed to be forsaken and neglected, fell into the hands of cruel watchmen, and was fain to go through this, and that means, but it was not long ere she met with him who, whom she sought after. It may be midnight at this time, but the night continues not long. It will be morning ere long. Therefore, the church may well say, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for though I have I be fallen, I shall rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me, as it is in Micah 7, 8. Shall not be always ill with the church. Those that survive us shall see other uh, manner of days than we see yet, whatsoever we see we shall ourselves. Fourth, hence we have also an use of trial. Whosoever are Christ, they have hearts to give themselves to him, as he gives himself not his goods of his honors, but himself for his church. So the church gives herself to Christ. My, deli my delight is in him. He hath myself, my heart, my love, and my affection, my joy and delight, and all with myself. If I have any honor, he shall have it. I will use it for his glory. My riches I will give them to him and his church and ministry and children as occasion shall serve. I am his, therefore. All that I have is his. If he ask it at my hands, it is said of the Macedonians they gave themselves to Christ and then their riches and goods. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. It is an easy matter to give our riches to Christ when we have given ourselves first. A Christian, as soon as ever he becomes a Christian and after, ever after to death, in death too, he giveth up himself to Christ. They that stand with Christ and will give this or this particular will part only with the idle things that they may spare. Are they Christ? No, a Christian gives himself and all his to Christ. So we see here that we should do in Christ be ourselves. Let us give up ourselves to him as it is Romans 8 1 the issue that the issue of all that learned profound discourse in the former parts of the epistle that Christ justified us by his righteousness and merit and sanctify us by his spirit and has predestined and elected us and refused others in this I beseech you give up your bodies and souls and all as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God in brief, these words imply renunciation and resignation. I am his, that is, I have given up myself to him. Therefore, I renounce all others that stand not with his love and liking. 
I am not only by his way of service, which I owe him above all that call for it, but I am I am his by way of resignation. If he will if he will have me die, I will die. If he will have me live here, I will. I have not myself to dispose of any longer. I have altogether alienated myself from myself. I am his to serve him, his to be disposed of by him. I have renounced all others. Therefore, here we have another answer to Satan. If he comes to us and solicit us to sin, let the Christian's heart make this answer. I am not my own. What has Satan and his instruments to do with me? Is my body his to defile? Is my tongue his to swear at his pleasure? Shall I make the temple of God the member of a harlot? As the apostles reason, reasons, shall I devile, defile my vessel with sin? 1 Corinthians six fifteen. What saith con, uh, converted Ephraim? What have I any more to do with idols? For I have seen and observed him. Hosea uh, six, uh, 14, 8. We ought to have such response. Re- we ought to have such resolutions ready in our hearts. Indeed, when a Christian is resolute, the world counts such to be lost. He is gone. We have lost him. Say your dissolute, profane persons. It is true they have lost him indeed, for he is not his own, much less theirs any longer. But he is found to God and himself in the church. Thus we see what springs from this, that Christ is ours and that we are Christ back again. Let us carry this with us even to death. And if time should come that God should honor us by serving, serving himself of us in our lives, if Christ will have us spend our blood, consider this, I am not my own in life nor death, and it is my happiness that I am not my own. For if I were my own, what should I do with myself? I should lose myself as Adam did. It is therefore my happiness that I am not my own, that I am not the world's, that I am not the devil's, that none else has to do with me to claim any interest in me, but I am Christ's. If I do anything for others, it is for Christ's sake. Remember this for the time to come. If there be anything that we will not part with for Christ's sake, it will be our bane. We shall lose Christ and it too. If we will not say with a perfect spirit, I am his, my life, my credit, my person is his, anything his, look what we will not give for him. At length we shall lose and part with it and him too. All right. Well, that was a sermon by Richard Sibbs. Uh, I pray that it was edifying to your soul. I pray that it was encouraging. A lot of good material there. Even if you're not exactly on the same uh, page as him with uh, the Song of Solomon, you know, I, I actually do fall into the same camp as him. But even if you think, well, maybe maybe that's not talking about Christ in the church, there's still so much biblical truth that he uh that he expounds upon in this sermon um kind of back to the back to the original uh statement from j.i packer um you know the the puritans and i i I love the puritans one thing i don't want to do is just you know just put everybody into a camp i mean these were individuals right uh but 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 yeah the the Puritans really um, were, were so known for this. They just knew the scriptures and they they saw the gospel weaved in and out of scripture just so um, profoundly. And then they expounded upon it in such an eloquent way and such an excellent way, really. So I, I know that, uh, that, that Sibs did that throughout this sermon. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, just a lot of good things to grab onto, a lot of good things to to um let kind of simmer and and sit with you uh you know a couple of them for me was just the just the idea of like our our times of 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 sorrow because we're not in the closeness with christ are actually for our good and um i'm not exactly sure of the historical um context of this sermon but it almost seems like he was preaching to the church in a very sorrowful time and uh, this was a word of encouragement to say, you know, your sorrow um, 
for not being close with Christ is actually a tool that God's going to use to bring you even closer to Christ whenever you do become closer to Christ. So very, very um, just deep truth and really just wonderful. Uh, another thing was at the at the end, um, you know, when he when he kind of calls calls on people and says, can you know, can you say that you belong to Christ, that there's nothing uh, between you and Christ. And, and of course, you know, the Christian should, should have a resounding yes. Um, you know, I, I think that as Christians, though, we should also pray, God, you know, give us, um, you know, search me and, and create me, you know, search me and show me if there's any ill way, you know, so we say yes, of course, yes. If there's any obvious thing, obviously just, you know, take that to the Lord, take that to your, you know, before your elders, pray about it, um, let it go. You know, you know, it's like he says, you know, anything that you're holding on to instead of Christ, you're going to lose Christ and you're going to lose that thing. Um, so let it go and you know, take it, take it before the Lord and let it go. And, and, uh, you know, take it before your elders, have them pray for you as well. Um, and, and counsel you and, and, and letting go of anything. And then for those who aren't struggling with anything like that, uh, you know, let us just continue to pray. God, search us, search us and show us any ways that's that's uh, not proper, that's not right. And then when the Lord shows it to us, you know, just let it go. Let us be, you know, 100 uh, percent just given to Christ in every way, shape and form. And let us continue to press on into the re- resurrection of life. Um, well, thank you again so much for joining. And uh, until next time, farewell. And as always, to God be the glory.